Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, enough about me. Uh, this will be the second one of the week. Great feedback on the first one with uh, Thomas Stackpole, the author of uh, the story about me in Boston Magazine. I think there's another one out now by uh, uh, Evan Marinovsky. It's uh, kicking around out there from CLNS, I think it is, um, as well. So, I don't know, no shortage of stories about me. Somebody doesn't do anything. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Tom, uh, I give Stackpole credit, like I said, for coming on. I'm constantly mystified um, why, why people write stories like that uh when they know they're gonna pick holes through them but you know i don't know who the fuck knows so that's out there now as well you can go listen to that if you haven't listened to it yet um today i'm gonna have john ziegler on who i battled with like crazy a couple of years ago about jerry sandusky he's a sandusky truther uh he's wildly opinionated he's not afraid i like him because he's a crazy and b asks questions even if i don't agree with him he asks questions he's asking questions about this Michael Jackson documentary. He's questioning uh, the victims, which I think when you're a victim uh, and you go out there and do a four-hour documentary, we live in a world now where it's like everything's the truth. That has to be the truth. We can't question anything as opposed to saying, well, wait a minute. Hold on. How about this, 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 and this? And he lays it out. And I thought he wrote a really good column on Mediate, and I reached out to him and wanted to talk to him about the documentary. Do I think Michael Jackson's a pedophile or was a pedophile? Yes, I do. Um, Do I think that the other side needs to be examined all the time? Of course and that's what Ziegler did. And we actually had a pretty good half-hour conversation. I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, and I do admire him in the sense that he is totally and wholly unafraid and has cost himself professionally at times. I may not agree with him, but he is completely unafraid. And five or six years ago, I think I felt differently about people like that. But now I do feel a certain kinship with that, uh, with that line of thinking. I'm trying to think what else. I'll give you some show updates next week. Things are kind of slowly moving along, but moving along nevertheless. Um, and yeah, so I, I really enjoyed this, this Ziggler conversation. He's crazy, which I, I do like, and I like the fact, like I said, he, you know, and, and he brings it up right away. Cause I had thought about it too, whether it's, um, serial, the documentary where the, the, the podcast where the document, Sarah Koenig, I think her name is clearly believes this guy is innocent from the start. I listen to these podcasts all the time. These, these true crime podcasts where people are convinced of someone's innocence. So they lay it out. And when they do that, ignore evidence on the other side where, I think when you acknowledge all the stuff right away, then a lot of questions are removed. You say, okay, well, at least this person is giving you everything. I mean, there are real questions about Wade Ropes in here in this Michael Jackson documentary. There are. And the documentarian chooses never to bring them up for some reason. And when you don't bring up those questions, it, all it does is invite more questions. So I, I, I read Zigo's thing. I thought, well, good for him. Because I thought some of the same stuff. And I thought, well, at least somebody is questioning this stuff as opposed to just saying, okay, you know, Michael Jackson looked weird and had kids for sleepovers. 
Is that fucking bizarre? Yes. Are the parents fucking crazy for letting them do that? Yes. Does that mean that Jackson's a pedophile without question? No, I don't. Um, and by the way, I, like I said, I'm, I've gotten in my head, I absolutely think Michael Jackson's guilty. I, I think anybody with common sense and a brain thinks that. But that doesn't mean you, that when an accuser goes on for four hours in HBO, it shouldn't be unfettered, especially when there is evidence on the other side. So I had John Ziegler on. I had a really good time uh, with him. I think he was not not nervous going because he'll fight. But I think he thought this was going to be a big brawl, and it wasn't. I think you know I really I I I think uh, particularly in the world of documentary films and and, and, and podcasts and and uh, <clears throat> and even you know Netflix series. There's this you know, and it is truthfully because most people who make these movies are left wingers. It's a sort of liberal slant where you know they want this thing to be true, so they do everything they can to prove to you it's true and hide shit and ignore it. And that, that to me is just, it's like everything else. You know, if you guys have been listening to me long enough, that's the shit that bothers me. I just like the proof. I just like to question things, whether it's Jesse's, uh, whether it's Smollett or Adam Jones or, or Michael Jackson or Wade Robeson or, or uh, Serial Pog, I, I fucking anything. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, I think questions need to be asked. And uh, John Ziegler, crazy as he is, uh, is one of the few guys out there asking some of these questions. And when you do that, you know, you no longer get to be part of the mainstream. I think I said in this story uh, that came out today, uh, from a radio perspective, you know you're not doing your job if the program director doesn't give you shit, if he doesn't say stop doing this or doing that. If your program director never bothers you, you suck at your job. And there are a lot of people on the radio right now who just show up, go to work, get mediocre ratings. Their program directors never bother them. They go home, they cash their check. Uh, whatever, they may have a side job doing whatever, I don't know, Bruins games or something for TV. Then they go and do the same thing the next day and the same shit over and over and over and over and over again. And then you wind up with mediocre stuff. And then you lose your job because you're mediocre and then you complain about it. It's the same thing here. I think if you're not asking questions anymore, you're, 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 you're derelict in your duty as a media member, as a journalist, whatever you call yourself. Because right now, this is the scariest time in the history of the media. Because... Right away, you're guilty. You're a homophobe. You're a racist. You're a supporter of, uh, you know, Michael Jackson. If you're asking, you, you know, and right away, you're you're branded. You're done forever. It takes guts. And Ziggler's, like I said, is a maniac, but he's got plenty of guts. And he's a uh, return guest to the Enough About Me podcast. John Ziegler. Here it is. John Ziegler is back. I have no idea. John, do you remember the last time when we did the Sandusky one? And I don't want to relitigate Sandusky, so I don't want. But I mean, what was it? Maybe. A year ago? Two years ago? I think it was two years ago. Two years ago. John Ziegler is a, a documentary filmmaker. He's a radio host. He's a, he's a longtime you know, jack-of-all-trades and is a subject, by the way, and I think we talked about this last time, one of my all-time favorite magazine pieces by uh, David Foster Wallace, which must have been 18... I was, on, I was on a plane. I grabbed it going on a plane. It must have been 18 years ago, maybe? Is no, that... it was... Uh, I think it came out uh, 13, 14 years ago. 13, just before 14. Uh, David Foster Wallace and committed his... suicide, although I don't think I had anything to do with that. No, I don't... I, 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 no, I don't, I don't think so either, but I... Well, maybe we could talk about that later. So anyway, so uh, we fought about Sandusky a few years ago, but I, I... Like I always say, I always appreciate people who question things, and you do that. So whether we agree or disagree, I don't really care because you're a fighter. You don't back down. I admire that, whether I think it's crazy or not crazy. So when I found out that you wrote something about Michael Jackson, I thought, oh, shit, here we go. I read it, and obviously about the Leaving Neverland documentary. It's on HBO. I read it, and I actually wanted to reach out to you. I was going to message you anyway and say what a good job I thought you did. What interests me the most about documentary movies, John, is 
there's a narrative out there. I think some people still believe that this is these things are nonfiction. They just lay it out there. Whereas it is just completely swayed and is in the hands of the filmmaker a thousand percent. They can go, you can make a documentary. You could make a documentary from the, the side that says Michael Jackson's totally innocent. And if you leave certain things out, there are people who are going to walk out and believe that. Uh, am, I, am I making sense, or you understand where I'm going with this? Well, no. As a documentary filmmaker myself, I mean, I, I'm I'm concerned about several aspects of this, uh, uh, leaving Neverland situation. The first is the one that you hit on, which is we do seem to have crossed a line now. Yeah. When did that When did that happen? Is that Michael Moore? Is that when did this become Michael Moore? started it but you know i'm all in favor i have no problem with a documentary filmmaker having a point of view that's part of of course right motivates someone to i mean it's a lot of work so you got to have a motivation right mm -hmm. so what's your motivation to take on a particular subject um however i i, I don't i think more played a role i i think um making a murderer did not help nope, uh, I no mean, that, question that's a situation that has convinced a lot of people that the subject of that uh, Netflix series is innocent, and right. I believe that guy is guilty as hell. John, that's and, an John. That's and, a that's a great point. Sorry, because I, I was going to bring this up. Now, obviously, I'll let you go for as long as you want after this. So, I watched Making a Murder when it first came out, and I binged it like you know thousands of people did. And I thought, holy, you know, you get you get swayed, you get emotionally manipulated. I'm thinking, holy shit, Stephen Avery should be out of jail right now. This is ridiculous. And then you go and you do a little research. There's actually a, a podcast, I'm sure you're aware of it. It's called uh, Rebutting a Murder, I think it's called. And it's and the guy does an excellent job. He lays it out. And I'm with you now. I think Avery is actually guilty. But there are millions of people who are convinced he's innocent because the only thing they've watched is making a murder. So, I mean, I, think that I was going to bring that. That's actually a great point. Right. I mean, so my point on this is, you know, like when I do documentaries, I, I generally come from a perspective that's against the conventional wisdom. So I don't have this problem where, uh, you know, most people are already convinced of the other side, and I'm right. trying to unconvince them of something that they, I believe that they have been fooled into believing. But but when we have a situation where people don't know the, the basics of the story, like Steve Avery or even Michael Jackson, where let's, let's face it, part of what uh, I think Leaving Neverland takes advantage of is that this is an old story, and people forget the details. And uh, and details matter. And in my mind, a, a documentary film, especially on a platform like HBO, that's going to be seen by millions of people across the world, uh, especially when it's about a dead man, has a responsibility to at least, at least examine the other side. And what this documentary did was, or film, did was that for the first two hours, it's four hours long, two parts, for the first two hours, it completely ignores... The other side of this, I'd say the first, the first. I'd say the first three hours, John. They don't really get into it until the last half. The last half of the last half. That's probably true. But my yeah. my point yeah, is, yeah, the first half is right, 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 because it airs in two parts. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. The first night, everyone, as you to your point, Kirk, becomes emotionally invested in the two in, in the two accusers in the two alleged victims. Sure, it's only natural. Right. I mean, I did. I did too. Well, I my my first thought, I mean, and I went into this, and this sounds counterintuitive but i actually try not to be all that educated when i go into watching something like this because i want to see it like the average person right and by the way you and i both think for the record that jackson gundor i mean i think jackson's guilty so do you i mean that's not even well, really that's I, not I, even really the argument just, right just to be clear i the column i wrote 
the premise of it is I accepted that Jackson is guilty just for basically sake of argument. For the, for the record, my position on, on Jackson is pretty nuanced. I'm, I was a Los Angeles talk show host during his trial yep. and, and covered it on a daily basis. And ironically, Kirk, and you, I don't know what your reaction to this is going to be, is I came into that trial very convinced of his guilt. Okay. After that trial, I was not as convinced of his guilt okay. because I thought – this is all they have after all this investigation, and this has been going on for years. I mean, why is there so little evidence? Now, again, gun to my head. If, yeah, gun to my head. Did Michael Jackson ever abuse a boy? I'm going to say yes. Uh, but am I going to? Am I willing to uh, uh, bet my life or anything close to that on it? I'm not. And part of it's because I happen to know his lawyer, Tom Mesereau, who's also here in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. very well. And Tom is a very smart and a good guy. And he's not a lawyer who just takes on any case, you know, just for the paycheck. And he has told me, uh, to, you know, privately, not even in, in interviews, that he really sincerely believes Jackson is innocent. Right. As, as, as you wrote. Yeah, go ahead. So anyway, the point is, my point is, I, I Part of the problem with Jackson, I think you'll agree with this, mm -hmm. is that he is a literally unique individual. In that, and so therefore it becomes very difficult to interpret the facts. I mean, he's literally, during parts of the story, the most famous man on the planet and worth you know, probably a billion dollars or more. And so that changes reality. That changes all sorts of things where you cannot evaluate a case on a normal basis. That being said, I am... I am more than happy to accept, not happy, but I mean I'm more than willing to accept that he could be a pedophile. Even if he's a pedophile, this film was not fair. And I have real questions about uh, Wade Robeson especially. I, gun to my head, uh, Jackson is a pedophile, but gun to my head, Wade Robeson is not telling the truth. Well, but see, And I want to get to that in a second, but what's interesting and it's a good point is that, and I think Jackson's guilty, just just gut feeling. And you're right, like the, the proof is is, you know, he said, he said. But the interesting thing about Jackson is not only, you know, and I was 10 or 11 years old when Thriller broke out and he was the most famous person on earth, but, you know, he's not the most famous person on earth like Brad Pitt is or even Bruce Springsteen. This is somebody who was the most famous person on earth, but also extremely strange even when he was the most famous person on earth. I mean, he was bringing Emmanuel Lewis to the Grammys and he was hanging out when he had the pet chimpanzee and he was having right. these weird, I mean, you know, the, the plastic surgery he was right. always, to your point, where he's unique. Even when he was at his fame, at his, at his peak, when you're looking at him, just just a bizarre individual. So right away, the scales are tipped against him. Well, and this is this will go back to Sandusky. I, I'm not a believer that being weird makes you a pedophile. No, a, a, a know, thousand percent I mean, agree. I agree. And 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 let's face it, Jackson had reasons for being weird. He was world famous as a young boy. Well, his father who, who is, was probably right. abused by his own father. No question, no question. Uh, and so, and so, therefore, again, I'm not saying he's innocent. I'm saying that there are unique aspects of this case that have to be considered that I don't think fully are. Like, for instance, the payoffs have always bothered me greatly. I mean, you pay that much money for child molestation uh, allegations, uh, then that's a huge big problem red flag. For me. Big red, but, big red. But flag. even when you look at that. I mean, the guy was worth so much money, and frankly, it was the insurance company that decided to do this, allegedly above his own objections. Even that isn't quite as clear-cut as it might seem. I mean, if you or I 
paid out somebody a significant amount of money, that would be clearly essentially pleading guilty. But with, with Jackson, I'm not 100% sure. I'm really not. The other thing for me, John, is, uh, is when a documentary uh, is like this and they purposely leave things out, that yes. to me is that I start saying, well, when you do that, then you're allowing yes. people like us to say, well, why are you doing that? Whereas if they if they laid this all out and you lay out a bunch of stuff, you know, and by the way, a lot of it could be easily explainable. You know, Robeson uh, uh, issued a glowing statement of, of praise of Jackson, attended his funeral. He testified on Jackson's behalf. Now, he, you could ask him these questions and he could simply say, listen, I was still processing this. I was still going through it. I was still in denial. But when you don't ask those questions, right. to me, it becomes a bigger issue. That's a great point, and that's one that I always use in evaluating things. If your case is so strong, why are you not addressing all the facts? And, uh, and, and, and by the way, the facts that I lay out in my column for Mediate are a uh, tip of the iceberg sure. with Robeson. Um, and, and one of the things that this documentary completely ignores are the details of Robeson's lawsuit four years after uh, Jackson dies against the estate. And, and, and I'm not even sure you're aware of this, because I wasn't uh, fully aware of it when I wrote the column. No, I'm not. I've done no. a lot of research since. Uh, and, and that lawsuit is far more damning uh, to, to Robeson's case than is portrayed even by me. I originally thought this was purely a statute of limitations issue, and it's not. He was found by the judge in that case to have blatantly perjured himself with regard to his attempt to get around the statute of limitations. And in fact, the judge struck his testimony from the proceedings when he uh, adjudicated the lawsuit and declared it to be null and void. So this, this was the guy who's effectively been declared a perjurer by the judge in his lawsuit. And, so the, and the lawsuit comes about, Kirk, almost immediately after he uh, uh, loses out on a job to be the choreographer for the Michael Jackson Circus Soleil show in Las Vegas. And, it, and his career is going into the crapper. His, his ties to Jackson are gone now that Michael is dead. Uh, it, it, there's a very clear line here that makes it very understandable how and why his story changed. Now, his, his story in Leaving Neverland is incredibly compelling, as is uh, Safe uh, Chucks. Yeah. Safe Chucks. Yep. Um, uh, but I have to tell you, without corroboration, we have to at least acknowledge these are two people who have been performers their entire lives, their entire lives. Right. And, and, th- and that doesn't mean they're lying, but that doesn't mean they're telling the truth either. They, just because they do it in a detailed and compelling fashion doesn't make it true. Well, I think and, no, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Well, just to finish on this, you know, Piers Morgan did an interview with the with the director Dan. Yeah, Reed, I saw it. Yeah. And 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 Piers Morgan is a guy who I've battled with on the Paterno Sandusky case, and I have I'm a theory on why that happened, but the point of this is that when he asks Reed for did you have any new evidence? Reed actually first dodges the question and the second time Morgan asks any hard evidence, he references uh, Wade Robeson's underwear, as if Wade Robeson had produced the underwear. Right. But he doesn't. All right. he does is he tells a story about when he's 14. Allegedly, Michael Jackson asked him to get rid of his underwear, which apparently he does. By the way, that story, when you look at the details of it, makes no sense to me. But the point is, Reed's essentially lying. He's, he's pretending like they have the underwear. But here, here's the thing, John. Don't. Here's it's the thing, John. Story. In, in, in That's all it is. In 2000, corroboration. In 2019, you and I could talk about it because we question things, and Piers Morgan, and 
in whomever. But, you know, we now live in a society where it is guilty first. You are locked up. Forget it. You're a pedophile forever. You're a sexual harasser forever. You're a racist forever. You're a transphobe forever. You know, nobody nationally is really going to have a serious conversation about this uh, because I think they're afraid. And and, and I'll, I'll say it 50 times. I, I think Jackson's guilty. I don't know, but I think he's guilty. I think you have questions as well. But nobody will have the conversation about this this documentary that millions of people watched and just assumed because I think they're so afraid to to question uh, uh, a victim's statement. And I think that's a scary thing. I think that that sets a really scary precedent. You, what you just said there is so incredibly important, and uh, and I'm con- and by the way, I'm going to eventually, years from now, I'm going to convince you about Penn State because that's what happened in Penn State. Everyone just presumed they thought they knew the story and rushed to judgment in a couple of days. But that's the world we live in, and more importantly, and even that, what you said about the fact that no one is willing to stand up because there's no gain in it. There's no risk-reward ratio. For a guy like me, I have taken way more flack, way more hits. My, my career has been harmed far more than, than I ever get any credit when I'm right. Like, for instance, I called BS on the, the Jussie Smollett story right. basically before right. anyone else did. Not that that was difficult, but everyone was afraid. But that's an, John, that's a great point. So obviously I'm not, I'm not on my old radio show anymore for reasons similar to yours. You know, I got, I got, I got bumped off for, for doubting things and questioning things. I'm the same as you, and then I saw Smollett right away, and I said, this makes absolutely no sense. By the way, I think 90% of people who read that story the first time said, wait a minute, guys in MAGA hats in the middle of the night in Chicago recognized a supporting character on uh, on on Empire. In a t- it, it, the story smelled like bullshit from the start, but to your point, who is going to call that out? Where is the upside? If you do that, you're a racist. If you do right. that, you're this, you're that, and... and in the Twitter world, will attack you. We now live in a world where it's. And by the way, like obviously, like you know, the work that Roman Farrow's done, stuff like that, fantastic. Like you know, if you're guilty, like a Harvey Weinstein, good. You're guilty. You're a scumbag. You deserve everything. But there is no room anymore for questioning. None. Uh, this is so important, and, and the way I like to describe it, Kirk, is that look, uh, whatever time period you want to call it, seventies, eighties, whatever. The pendulum was too far in the direction of the accused. We were very unwilling to believe anybody in these kind of situations. Now the pendulum, I believe, has gone so far in the other direction. There's been such an overcorrection. And we live in a world where nuance is dead. Uh, There's no time for reflection. What was the tipping point? Uh, When did that happen? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, frankly, the, the story that I, I and you're going to hate me for it. I think Penn State was a was the worst example of it, and that I've ever seen. And I and I think that <clears throat> that happened to be right when Twitter. Began. Yeah, I was going to say that right. I would that whenever the whenever social media Twitter began because I think Twitter. You forget most people in our life, most people in life aren't on Twitter, but has governed the lives of people who are on it to such a large degree that it's just you 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 are absolutely controlled by it. And and think about what Twitter is. It used to be 140 characters. Now it's 280, which is right. no big difference. But but inherently, inherently, all that matters is what you can fit into basically two or three sentences at most. Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is more complicated than two or three sentences. But but think about it in the, these terms. In in the dynamic between an accuser and the accused, especially in an explosively emotional topic like sexual abuse, who wins that battle? The accuser and those in favor of the accuser or against the accused can easily encapsulate their story in two or three sentences. 
the the the, the person trying to defend the accused can't possibly do that. It, it, especially, by the way, when we're now changing the rules and back to never to, to yep, leaving good. Neverland. This is the part of leaving, leaving Neverland that really bothers me. We are now changing the rules for how we evaluate these types of stories in a way that makes it impossible for an innocent person to defend themselves. Well, no, I mean, but 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 it's also you know we're now at the point where obviously one man's dead, the other. I mean, we we'll, we'll never really know for sure if Jackson raped these kids. I mean, we're never going to actually know. Well, let's 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 take right. That for a I second. mean, let's take let's take that for a second because the director Dan Reed says. He he openly admits. He said there were only two people in the room, and I'm letting the the one person who's still alive tell their story unfettered. Okay, well, there's a major problem with that. First of all, the other person in the room is dead. The other person in the room was never convicted of a crime, was never even found liable in a civil case, and the second person in the room, whose story you're telling, testified under oath as an adult celebrity that nothing happened and that Michael Jackson's the greatest thing ever. I'm sorry. He could still be telling the truth, but he has discredited his, his story to the extent where it's not meeting the threshold for an HBO documentary. Well, I would say the documentarian has also destroyed his credibility by uh, ignoring it. Well, that's I I got to tell you the part of this thing that's being ignored, and and this this I'm very curious as to your reaction to this. Mm-hmm. Dan Reed has made some statements in defending this film. That frankly, if he was not being uh, praised by Oprah, okay. So, and, I, so know, yeah. So I saw you tweet. Like so I saw you tweeting. I saw you tweeting about this. As yeah. right out of the the Nabla handbook. Well, go ahead. Like so, he's, he's he's justifying uh, child uh, male uh, adult child sex abuse on the idea that it's loving and and a positive experience. Now, how is he not getting criticized? So when when did when did he say that, John? He I, said that to the Los Angeles Times in. It wasn't out of context. I've read the quote numerous times, and he's backed that quote up in other places, like the Piers Morgan interview. I mean, it, it appears to me as if this guy really thinks that there's a positive aspect of of male child sex abuse, and that somehow has gotten lost in this. Uh, and and I, I got to tell you, there's something weird to me about Reed's uh, take on this story. I, I can't. Put I don't my finger on it. I don't know him. I've watched interviews with him. I, 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 he's either very ignorant about the facts of this case, or he has an agenda or an obsession here that is not healthy. And um, and it's certainly not the truth. It's I mean, again, again, I don't know about uh, Jackson's guilt. He could very easily be guilty. But this Wade Robson story stinks to high heaven. And and one of the things, you know, you're 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 a common sense guy, right? I try to be. How do you how do you do how do you do this documentary, vouching for Wade Robeson for over two hours, and not mention or interview Brandy Jackson? Brandy Jackson is Michael Jackson's niece. Right, she dated Wade him. Wade yeah. Robeson dated her for his entire teenage years. Well, you tell me why why not? And, well, well, I've I've watched interviews with Brandy Jackson. She is intelligent, she is highly credible, and she very casually says, this is all bullshit. That's why, and I, right? I mean, and, and, if, and my God, I mean, he interviews, he interviews a woman is now his wife, who he never even knew during this time period, as, as she's a credible witness, yet the guy, the, the woman that he's having sex with, 
as, throughout his entire teenage years, including when this allegedly is happening, you don't even get her perspective? I kind of think she has some insight on this. And, and speaking of the common sense, look, uh, no one knows exactly how sex abuse victims are supposed to act. But Robeson's story is he was sexually abused from 7 to 14 brutally by a man. That has a massive impact on a male's psyche. Anyone, anyone with common sense knows that. How does that guy, just a few years after that, have the sexual confidence to break up Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake by betting Britney Spears at the height of Well, yeah, but I mean that but I mean that that's you know, that's not proof or anything. Who knows? Whoa, 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 hold on. Real world, Kirk. I'm sorry. That takes an enormous amount of confidence that is not consistent with what we are told a sex abuse victim of this type. This was not a one-time situation. This was seven years of systematic child sex abuse of a Uh. brutal nature, and he's betting Britney Spears while she's while she's dating Justin Timberlake? Well, I'll tell you, another problem I have with the documentary is they try and paint these parents in the sympathetic light. I mean, I have kids. You have kids. I don't care how fucking famous Michael Jackson is, how much my kid likes to dress like him, dance around. The idea that I'm going to leave my kid alone with Michael Jackson for sleepovers, any adult male for sleepovers, I don't know, really, for sleepovers while I travel around the country is the height of fucking lunacy. I agree with that. I'm, by the way, that doesn't, I'm not, that's not implicating guilt. I'm just saying that's, that, and they sort of paint these parents like, you know, oh, we're stage parents. Oh, he was the most famous. Like, so what? Well, one of the things about the there were two things about the parents that bothered me, and I'd love to get your take on it, Kurt. Mm-hmm. It's not you're, what you raise is an interesting issue because they clearly are culpable. These guys were abused, of course. But 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 hold on. But if go back and rewatch it, especially in part one, especially Robeson's mother. Oh, totally. At this point, it's important to point out people are really bad at at uh, thinking about what people know in their head when they're talking about a subject. She's not being interviewed contemporaneous to when. Wade and Michael start their their relationship. She's being interviewed now when she allegedly knows her son was abused. Right, it's post post haste, yeah. And yet, and yet, she's reminiscing about their getting together in in a very enthusiastic and joyful fashion. How is that possible? And so was the grandmother at first too. By the way, it's very well, very strange. Yeah, I mean, that... the grandmother. It's not clear to me that she had any direct contact. No, uh, she was there. She went on. She went on the trips with them. She said she was. Yeah, yeah she was. I mean, the, the whole look. The whole. But that. I mean, that, that's, that's neither here nor there. I just. I just think it's weird that you know. I watched it, and now I'm. You know, if I had watched this documentary, fifteen years ago, I would have said Michael Jackson's. You know, the biggest creep ever, da da da. I would have never given a second thought, would have never asked a question. I just think things, for me anyway, have changed so much that I watch this. I think Jackson's guilty still, but I'm so disappointed in filmmakers who allow you to ask these questions. They could have done such a better job. And, oh, they, yeah. and, and not only, not, it's not like they made mistakes. I think they very obviously chose not to go this direction. It's a well, clear, conscious like choice. Murder, but just one of exactly the like that. Moms. Yeah, one, go ahead. One, go ahead. One, no, one go ahead. thing on the moms, the other mom. Uh, from James Safe Safe Chuck's you know, mom, she, yeah. She at the very end says that when Jackson died, she was glad yeah. that uh, she was uh, 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 very excited and happy that he had died. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a problem with that. At that point, according to the documentary, while Safe Chuck had told her that he's a bad man and that he's not going to testify on his behalf four years prior as a 27 year old adult, he's just going to let his abuser skate in a trial, which I find problematic, but here's the problem. According to the documentary, 
He's never told her or anyone else at that point about sexual abuse. But I could see, but I could see her putting two and two together, though. If he sees a bad guy, I mean, I could see. Well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. Go ahead. Uh, so, so th- th- this is a woman who had a very in-depth relationship with Michael Jackson, loved him like a son, and and based upon her her son deciding. He's not going to testify on his behalf. Not going to testify against him, which is really important. Says, to point but out. says he's a bad guy, though. Right, that now she's going to be thrilled that he's dead. Oh yeah. That, that that I'm sorry. That's that's an inconsistency because at that based upon the documentary, she has not been told yet that that uh, her son was sexually abused by Michael Jackson. Are you seeing? Um, are you seeing anybody? You know. So you and I are talking. You talked to Beck. I saw. I watched that. You talked to. You know. And Morgan's obviously talking about it. Do you see anybody in the mainstream media asking any questions about this at all? Have you seen no. anything I mean, even? And, 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 I mean, and, and what's interesting, you know, you mentioned Piers Morgan, and this goes kind of back to why the system is broken. Morgan is doing this uh, to the extent that he is because he's smart enough to realize that there is a Michael Jackson audience there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when there's an audience to appeal to, because if you go online and you see on Twitter, I mean, there's, there's an underground of uh, enormous support for Michael Jackson on this case, and uh, still to this day. Uh, and so Morgan, I think, understands that and is appealing to that, much like he appeals to the Donald Trump fans. He understands the power of a cult, and there's still a Michael Jackson cult there. But when, in a case like, for instance, again, going back to Penn State, there was no national Penn State cult, especially in the way that that story broke down. So there's no, there's no national financial business incentive for anyone to appeal to that uh, portion of the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are now. It, you, if there's not an audience to support a perspective, you're toast. And that's, by the way, why Jussie Smollett's story fell apart. If Jussie Smollett had not put the MAGA hats in there, he would not have invested 45% in the country into debunking his story. Well, you know, you know who was, you know who was pathetic in that? And I watched her wallow around the other day. It was Robin Roberts, who says, oh. I was a no-win situation. Really? You're a fucking journalist. You ask him three questions and it's over. You're done. But you didn't want to ask those questions because you're afraid of the backlash. I mean, and, and well, that's why she was chosen. I of mean, course. Of course. She's black. She's gay. She's a cancer uh, victim. She's a liberal like him. So, I mean, the, and, and frankly, this go, get, let's go to the to the uh, situation with uh, leaving Neverland. Oprah Winfrey had no business doing that hour long post uh, post game show, if you will, uh, of that documentary. She is a, an abuse victim herself. Who is invested in this issue? Well, that's but, but that, you're right. That's why that's why she presumably was was doing it, right? Right, but but she's not equipped, and and she did you know a decent. No, I wouldn't even say a decent job. She at least tried. No, see, I think I actually think John. I think she's fully equipped. I've seen her. I remember when Lance Armstrong, when she had Lance Armstrong on, when he admitted, and she she and James Fry, she tore him apart. I actually think she's fully equipped. But I don't think she wants to do it. I, I, I even think on this issue, I'm talking about on. This oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She should recuse herself ba- simply because of the conflict. Right. I mean, I yeah. think that's a conflict of interest. I mean, and, and people go, oh no. So, so we, no. What I'm saying is, it, 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 you shouldn't have only an abuse victim asking the questions because an abuse victim, I don't think, can be fully objective in this. She, she, uh, she is invested in this 
issue, which is fine. I mean, she, I mean, she's trying to make the world a better place. No one's in favor of sexual abuse. I'm not in favor of sexual abuse. I have two young daughters. I, I abhor it like anybody else. But I also abhor this idea that we're making rules for how we evaluate these stories where it's incredibly easy now for innocent people to get railroaded, especially if they're famous or notorious or weird and they have money. That's troubling because going back to this pendulum idea, the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction, and it almost got Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh, again, if half the country wasn't invested in defending him, he would have been toast. Uh, and I don't believe the allegations against him were credible. Uh, by the way, I, 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 I actually don't believe Ford either, but I was, I was honestly stunned that he survived it. Absolutely stunned. Well, that was because of Donald Trump. If, if Donald Trump doesn't stick by him, then obviously he's toast. And Donald Trump is a very unique individual. Yes. I'm not a Trump supporter. I know you're not. But in that particular case, uh, you know, he's, he's probably the last of the Mohicans when he's willing to, to take it and stand up and, and not worry about being politically incorrect. It's political correctness it dictates all of this, and you know how the media works. The number one rule of the media is keep your gig. Right. No one wants to do anything to threaten the gig. And the worst thing you can do as a media uh, member, especially a national media member, is to do something highly politically incorrect, like question a sex abuse victim or say something that could be seen as racist or homophobic or whatever. That's the easiest way out. So no one's going to do that. It's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. So therefore, you know, it takes a guy like me who doesn't have as much to lose and who cares about the truth to stand up and say, hold on. And, you know, one guy against the horde is, is you know, I'm going to get run over every time. You can't win. What do you, what do you, what do you, uh, you got anything to promote? Anything coming up here in the next few months? What's, what's going on? What do you got? <laughs> well, I, I do my column at Mediaite yep. a couple times a week. I do a couple different podcasts, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And, uh, you know, I'm always got something going on, Kurt. Good. So hopefully at some point, you're always welcome to come on here. We'll fight about well, saying, uh, say, good. Eventually, I swear, Kirk, I'm going to convince okay. you I'm right about Penn okay. State. Okay. Listen, up. you know I'm always willing to have the conversation. We've had a couple of battles, but I've always enjoyed them. Can we please schedule something? Because yes. Because there's a lot of new information on that that I'd love to get your thoughts on. Good. Let's do that. Uh, John, right. John Ziegler, Thanks, who Kirk. I appreciate you coming on. I'll talk to you, I'm sure, down the line. Thanks again. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.